2 Chronicles chapter 5 Thus all the work that Solomon did for Yahweh's house was finished. Solomon brought in the things that David his father had dedicated, even the silver, the gold, and all the vessels, and put them in the treasuries of God's house. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel, and all the heads of the tribes, the princes of the father's households of the children of Israel, to Jerusalem, to bring up the ark of Yahweh's covenant out of David's city, which is Zion. So all the men of Israel assembled themselves to the king at the feast, which was in the seventh month. All the elders of Israel came. The Levites took up the ark, and they brought up the ark, the tent of meeting, and all the holy vessels that were in the tent. These the, the Levitical priests brought up. King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who were assembled to him were before the ark, sacrificing sheep and cattle that could not be counted or numbered for multitude. The priests brought in the ark of Yahweh's covenant to its place, into the inner sanctuary of the house, to the most holy place, even under the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim spread out their wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubim covered the ark and its poles above. The poles were so long that the ends of the poles were seen from the ark in front of the inner sanctuary, but they were not seen outside, and it is there to this day. There was nothing in the ark except the two tablets which Moses put at Horeb when Yahweh made a covenant with the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt. When the priests had come out of the holy place, for all the priests who were present had sanctified themselves and didn't keep their divisions, also the Levites who were the singers, all of them, even Asaph, Heman, Juduthan, and their sons and their brothers, arrayed in fine linen with cymbals and stringed instruments and harps, stood at the east end of the altar, and with them 120 priests sounding with trumpets. When the trumpeters and singers were as one, to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking Yahweh, and when they lifted up their voice with trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music, and praised Yahweh, saying, For he is good, and his loving kindness endures forever. Then the house was filled with a cloud, even Yahweh's house, so that the priests could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud, for Yahweh's glory filled the house. Okay, so the temple has finished being built, and now they're going to dedicate it. And this chapter and the next one, there's going to be, you know, well in this chapter they begin by praising the Lord, and it says that this took place in the seventh month. Now, if we, um, if we read um, elsewhere, in the Second Kings account, it says that they finished building the temple in the eighth month. So, if they dedicate the temple in the seventh month and it's finished, but they don't finish building it to the eighth month, what does that mean? <laughs> it means they waited 11 months. So the temple finishes in, in you know, August, so to speak. Well, you know, August is our eighth month, but it's not their eighth month. Our calendars, you know, our numbering systems are different. But in their eighth month, um, they finish the temple and they wait 11 more months until the next year to the seventh month to dedicate the temple. One of the commentators said, oh, they must have dedicated the temple before it was quite finished. No, they didn't do that. It says here, when the temple was finished. So um, they had to wait 11 months and the reason is that the seventh month of the year is when the Feast of Tabernacles occurs. This is a, a special moment in the Jewish calendar We've talked about the Jewish feasts way back in the law. And this, the Feast of Tabernacles was, was to remember 
it was to put them back in the Exodus time and basically remember that they too lived in tents as they traveled through the desert. And as part of this feast, they would all, each build a tent or a tabernacle and they would live in it for a week. And, but the idea was to remember that God was with them because in the desert, God had his tent and they had their tents. So they were all, it was basically a feast to remember the wilderness wanderings, but also with a special focus on the idea that God is with us. So it makes complete sense now that God has a house, God is now among them, that they would celebrate this in at the Feast of Tabernacles. That's what that feast was all about. So they build a house for God, God is now among them, and they, they have to wait 11 whole months to tee this up. <laughs> and then they do that at the Feast of Tabernacles. It's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Now in the New Testament, there's a moment when God comes to dwell among us, and what is that? That's what we call the incarnation. With, with Jesus, you know, God became a person in the form of Jesus. He became a human, and now his dwelling is with men. So this was, you know, it, it's a type of tabernacles. God is now with us. You know, Emmanuel, that's the, one of God's name. God is with us. But um, Jesus is also the temple. Now, you remember when Jesus said to the Pharisees, he said, I'll tear down this temple and rebuild it in three days. He wasn't talking about the physical building. He was talking about when he would die and rise again. He was saying that he was the temple. And so we have the exact same thing today. We have the Lord Jesus with us. The Holy Spirit is with us. We have God among us. So we have an experience of tabernacles now, a spiritual one. But a spiritual experience isn't less real, it's more real. The physical things like the temple that were built, they were real symbols. What, I don't mean it was a symbol, I don't mean like there are fake symbols and real symbols, no, it was a symbol using a real thing as the symbol, not using a shadow to point to a real thing. And this is always God's way, like God uses marriage, which is a real thing, but it's a real symbol of a even greater real thing which is the love that christ has for his people you know the marriage between jesus and the bride of christ so the spiritual the lesson that's being learned by the feast of tabernacles that god is making his home among us and the fact that that god came you know god came to dwell in this temple that's a real symbol God was really there, the temple was really there, but it speaks of a more real thing that we now experience, that there's a body of Christ, that God dwells in the body of Christ, that we're a people, that we're a temple, that God's presence is now in the temple, that we have him with us, it's Emmanuel. So we experience tabernacles every day of our life, and this is a great, great reality. And if you think it's not very exciting, just imagine what it would be like if God was gone. What type of a world would this be? What type of a church would it be? What would the body of Christ be like if God wasn't there? Terrible. <laughs> and uh, because we haven't experienced, you know, the, the depths of how terrible it is, we don't know what that's like. I'll tell you what, one day there's going to come a day for some people and they're going to stand before the Lord on Judgment Day and he's going to say, apart, away from me. And they're going to experience what it's like to exist without the presence of God. And all people, even unbelievers today, they experience something of the presence of God because of common grace. They're living in the world. There's fresh air to breathe. There's flowers. Uh, you know, like there's just 
there's a basic level of goodness that just comes from having life that comes from him. But when people are apart from the presence of God, it's terrible, terrible, terrible. God is so good that at the end of this chapter and, at the, and in the moment of the dedication of the temple, they sing a song. Now, it only gives us one verse here, but this verse is Psalm 136, verse 1. It says, um, For he is good, and his loving kindness endures forever. In fact, it's not even the whole of verse 1 of Psalm 136, because Psalm 136, verse 1 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his loving kindness endures forever. Now, that psalm, Psalm 136, verse 1, is a long psalm, and it goes on and on and on, and every line it'll say something like, He delivered us from our adversaries. His loving kindness lasts forever. You know, and, and you know, he, he gave us the sun to rule by day. His loving kindness endures forever. He gave us the moon to rule by night. And that psalm is the experience of reading the psalm. It, because it's so long and drawn out and it keeps repeating this line, his love endures forever, it gives you a feeling of how big God's love is. And so there's a, there's a church in the world today called Morning Star Church. It's in North Carolina. It's um, the church that Rick Joyner started, or at least he was the pastor there for a long time. And they, ha they put out worship music, and I really love their worship music, and they, ha they did a song that was completely based off Psalm 136, verse 1. And as you can imagine, it was a very long song. They, it went for 10 to 20 minutes, something like that. And they were singing this line, His loving kindness endures forever, over and over and over again. <laughs> and it gets to you after a while. But the, the fact is, God's loving kindness does endure forever. And um, even though the song does eventually stop, God's love doesn't actually ever stop. And here in this chapter, they just give you the one line, but it's, it's to remind all of those who know the Psalms, because you know these people that were reading this, they knew the Psalms. They'd come back from exile. It was 400 years after the Psalm was written. So they knew the Psalm. And when they read this in Chronicles, uh, you know, it puts them in that place. It's you and I that don't know the Bible as well as them. And so we don't twig with some of these things. But anyway, here we've got a moment when the temple is dedicated and they sing a psalm, Psalm 136, verse 1. How wonderful and how fabulous is that? Now, I just want to make one interesting comment. In verse, in chapter, uh, where are we? What verse was it? Sorry, let me go find the verse. My apologies. All right. He was talking about the Ark of the Covenant, how it was placed in the temple and its poles were sticking out. It said the poles were so long that the ends of the poles were seen from the ark in front of the inner sanctuary and they were not seen outside. And it said, they are there to this day. Now that's a very interesting comment because in the day that this was written, they were not there. The Ark of the Covenant um, actually disappeared from history. And so some people, if, even if you said, oh, they rebuilt a new temple, it doesn't count because the ark wasn't in the new temple. It was gone. So this comment is is not about the time. Like the the writer, writer that put that down there and said they are there to this day. It was not there to this day. And so this this isn't actually a problem, but this is a highlighting to us how the writer put his book together. And there's quite a few places in Chronicles where it says, um, you know, that these are the records of Ido the seer and Gad the prophet and Nathan the prophet and the Chronicles of Judah. And so the, there's quite a few places where the writer says he got information from all these different sources. 
And so the Chronicles is a book that's been put together based on all this other information that was available. And he's taken bits of information and used it. And what we've got is a book of Chronicles that has some of the same information that's in the book of Kings and some of the information that was in the book of Samuel, but it has information that came from other places. That So we actually have, technically speaking, information here that comes from other sources like Ido the seer, Gad the prophet. And um, Gad the prophet, mind you, might be Samuel, the book of Samuel. So um, when it says here that they are there to this day, what we've got there is a, a section of text that's come out of the book of Kings. It's just, it's, it's the same information that we find in 2 Kings 8 verse 8. If you go to 2 Kings 8 verse 8 and read what's written there, and you read what's written here, you'll see it's exactly the same. So that's what's happened. It's not that the ark was there at this time. It's just that he's used that other information and put it into his book of Chronicles. Because he's, he's talking about at the time that that happened. It was there to that time, not at the time that he wrote it. <laughs> so there you go, clearing up a potential miscommunication. Your job for today is go to Psalm 136 and read about how wonderful the Lord's love is and how it lasts forever. So Father, let your love, which never runs out, be revealed to us in greater measure. Lord, let the presence of God, which filled that temple all those years ago, fill our hearts. Lord, bring us into a deeper knowledge of Christ. I pray we would have communion with Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.